0: And as you listen, I pray that you are encouraged and that you would be conformed more and more to the image of Jesus Christ as we behold him in his glory. So thank you for tuning in and enjoy. Ephesians chapter 3 says this, verse 1, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Now, let me pause there. Paul had just given in chapter 2 an exposition of how bringing people into their history that they were once dead in sin, but now through Christ Jesus he has made them alive by grace you have been saved through faith. And now the Jews and the Gentiles who are once enemies, Christ is their peace and now through the gospel through Jesus Christ is making Two enemies now, one in the church, right? And so the church is the new city. It's the new Jerusalem. It's a new family of God. And it's the new temple that is to spread God's glory to everywhere. So that's, that's where Paul left off. And now he says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. Assuming... That you heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery had been known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly in chapter 1, verses 9 through 10. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And the mystery is this that the Gentiles, Gentiles means nations, are fellow heirs, they are co heirs, they are members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is for your glory. This is the living word of God. Father God, thank you so much for... Your word. It is living and active. These are not my words, but the words of God. Lord, forgive us for already not coming to your word with reverence. With not coming ready to hear what you have to say to us. Lord, forgive my heart for presuming upon your holiness or your grace that I could come and not confess my sins before you. Lord, you're a holy God. You're a righteous God. I pray that you would give us reverence before your word. I pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you would encourage us tonight in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, but that we would just lift you high. And so I pray for each and every student tonight that this passage Um, that this message by the Holy Spirit would be applied to their life specifically tonight for the sake of your glory and their good. In Jesus' name, amen. Tonight I want to address, according to this passage, one of Satan's tools that he uses against God's people and against people in general. And I could see that he's used it against many of you week in and week out. I see it upon your faces. I see how you carry yourself. I hear it from your life groups. I see it in my own office when students come to me. As they are feeling attacked by the devil, week in and week out, or by their flesh or by the world, many are attacked by it. Satan is subtle. He comes as an angel of light. And that those and that the, for those that are in Christ Jesus, though he cannot indwell them, Satan loves to oppress them. Loves to discourage Christians. Loves to cause despair in the hearts of believers. And loves to keep non-believers in despair, in discouragement from ever coming to Christ. That is his goal. And that's what I want to talk about tonight is this problem, this device of discouragement. Satan loves to discourage, and many of you probably have come discouraged tonight. There's two different weapons. The two weapons of mass destruction that Satan loves to use is one is pride. And I see that too. Many coming here presuming upon God, I'm good. I come from a Christian family. I go to a Christian school. I'm good. I don't take these things seriously. I'm just, I'm just the, the joke. Uh, I just love to crack jokes and make sure people like me, and that's why I'm here. There's the pride and then there's despair, the two weapons of mass destruction that Satan loves to use. And I want to talk about despair tonight. And a great illustration of the effects of despair on people come from one of my favorite movies, uh, The Dark Knight Rises. Bane, the villain, is Satan in the movie. Okay, So he is the epitome of evil. He is a psychopathic, uh, uh, devilish character. And he represents Satan. And in the movie, and I won't spoil all of it, but his whole goal is to destroy Gotham City. City. And he could by detonating a bomb, but he doesn't right away. Why? Because he wants to crush the people's spirit first. He wants them to feel the hell that he experienced in that pit, which he called hell on earth. And in the movie, and, and, and Gotham represents... Or really, Batman represents Gotham's spirit, Gotham's hope, Gotham's moral courage, maybe, and strength. And in the movie, Bane absolutely obliterates prideful old Bruce Wayne, obliterates him in this fight scene. And he has this line after he breaks his back over his knee. He says, I was wondering what would break first, your spirit or your body? And he breaks him. And then he throws them into a pit, which represents hell in the movie of despair, for him to watch Gotham crumble from the inside out. The whole point is for Bane to give them some hope, but really the hope is poison. And he's just going to destroy them anyway. See, despair and discouragement or growing weary or losing strength or your vitality to fight, Satan loves to do that to Christians. If he can't damn your soul to hell, what he wants to do is to discourage you. And in the text tonight, Paul, he's been just declaring all the things that we have in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 1, chapter 1 and verse 2, and how Christ is, is the one who's put all authority, who has all authority, he's put all the enemies under his feet. And Paul goes to write, he says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of the Gentiles, And then do you, in your Bibles, do you have a little dash there? Do you see that? Paul pauses. And actually, verses 2, all the way to verses 13, act as like a parenthesis. Because Paul recognized that he said something that might cause despair, or maybe might not make sense. Okay, Paul, if Jesus is using the church... And the church is the vehicle by which he's going to put all of his enemies under his feet. That he's reigning in as the kingdom. And you're the main representative to bring the gospel to the, to the nations. And Christ is the victorious one. How is it that you're in prison? How can I trust what you say is true? How do I know all the things that you said about God's grace is true? And God has the victory. When you're in prison, you're in chains. And so Paul recognizes that Satan or their flesh might be causing doubt and discouragement in the people. And he's such a good pastor. He recognizes this before they even notice it. And he wants to address that and he wants to encourage them. And I know that because look at verse 13. What's the whole purpose of verses 2 through 13? He says, so I ask you not to what? Lose heart. That means to be faint hearted, to be discouraged, to be despairing. And so all of verses two through twelve are just truths to encourage God's people. Because the thing about truth is that it's still true. The true truth is still truth even when you feel like it's not. (laughs) So what about you? Satan loves to cast doubt. And it's true in this room. How can you say that the gospel is the power of God, yet I still can't stop myself from looking at porn week in and week out? You say God is in control over all, but my eating disorder controls me. It consumes me. You tell me the Bible says that Jesus is the all-satisfying Savior. Yet I can't go a day without being affirmed by my significant other. I can't go without being affirmed by the opposite sex. See how Satan loves to use discouragement. Despair is real, but so is truth and assurance. And I want to give you five truths to kill despair. Five truths to kill despair. Because those things, you may be feeling those things, but those feelings do not change the fact that Jesus lived, that he died, that he rose again, and he's in heaven now reigning. That's the good news. And so I want to give you five truths to kill despair. I I don't want you to lose heart, okay? That's Paul's goal. So point number one, don't lose heart. It's a sentence, and it's going to change every single time. So don't lose heart, for God has revealed his Word to you his word to you don't lose heart for God has revealed his word to you this whole section is about the mystery of Christ being revealed so God is revealing truths about himself to the people in order to encourage them and the first thing that Paul wants to encourage the people is that the message that I have brought to you did not come from me I did not come up with this stuff this gospel, this uniting of Jew and Gentile, that this the church is the new, is the new kingdom on earth. This is the new temple that Christ is reigning. That you reign with in, in Christ Jesus, though He is in heaven and you are on earth, you reign in heaven with Him because you're so united to Him. I didn't make these things up. What does He say? He says, assuming that you heard verse two of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. The word stewardship means management. God had given to Paul a management position, a job. And his management position was to manage God's grace to the nations. (laughs) And God's grace is called this mystery, which has been made known to him not by himself, not from the world, not from a friend, but by revelation. See, we believe in a God who reveals truth to us. How do we know the things that we know? How can we be certain? Because God has revealed it to us. We believe that truth comes from outside of us. But people in the secular world, they believe that truth is only found in the material world. And truth comes from within. But we could have certainty that the Bible makes sense of the world that we live in. That's what Paul is saying. This stuff doesn't come from me. But the words that I have written come from God. And the word in your lap right now, this very evening, are the very words of God. And whatever despair, whatever discouragement you are going through right now, I promise you that there is something in God's word that applies to your situation right now to give you hope and good news. Why is it important to believe that God has revealed his word to us? Because if he hasn't, then we're living in the dark. God has not left us in the dark imagine living life in the dark just no light at all ever what would that be like you might be able to do some things you might be able to brush your teeth maybe take a shower except you don't know if your water heater is really high you don't know the perfect spot to keep it from going too hot and burning yourself or too cold you know You might be able to do some things, but ultimately you'll be led to despair. You'll be frustrated, right? Well, that's a good illustration for the secular person, the modern person living outside of God, trying to make sense of life and morality and beauty and goodness and purpose without God. They're like Christian in the Pilgrim's Progress. They have a big burden, but they have no scroll, nothing that tells them how to get rid of it. The only thing that they have access to them is the materialistic, naturalistic world since they don't believe in God. And so they're left in the dark and that leads to despair. And it's actually really sad. What is despair? Francis Schaeffer says, one of my favorite apologists. He says, what is despair? It arises from the abandonment of hope of a unified answer for knowledge and life. The modern man has given up his hope of unity and lives in despair. The despair of no longer thinking uh, what has always been the aspiration of men is at all possible. Since they've rejected God, they've rejected hope and thus embraced despair. But Christian, we are not left in the dark. God in his grace has condescended and made himself known to you in his word. And this very word is the light of the world, is the lamp unto our feet. Is the sword to slay the enemies? Is the bread for the hungry? Is the water for the thirsty? Is the immovable rock to be your foundation through the storm, through despair? Or anything that comes in your life. To neglect God's word is to invite despair into your life. And so if you are depressed, if you are in despair, if you are discouraged, perhaps you should check to see if your Bible has some dust on it. God has given us his word to help us, to help you. He's revealed himself to you. So that's the first thing Paul wants them to know. This thing, this this gospel is not from me, it's from God. And the second thing he says, do not lose heart for God has revealed the gospel for you. The gospel, the good news. Because you have to ask the question, what is it that God has revealed in his word? What is the Bible about? And there's so much confusion. Even in this world. I bet you tons of your non-Christian friends would love to learn what the Bible is about, because they have false views about it, even your coworkers. What is the Bible about? Most people would say it's about rules. It's about living the good life. It's about following Jesus as an example. But Paul makes it clear that the Word of God is the story of good news to sinners who live in the dark, who live in despair, who live in sin. And what is this good news? It is the mystery revealed. It is the mystery revealed that salvation has come not from within, but from outside of you. From an alien righteousness, from a foreign place. Not from man, but from God. And this salvation is the mystery revealed. And that mystery revealed is Jesus Christ, who is God, who condescended in human flesh who lived on this life 2000 who lived on this earth 2000 years ago was born by a woman a virgin born under the law suffered under Pontius Pilate who was a real governor there's historical evidence for the fact that Jesus actually lived on this earth that he suffered under Pontius Pilate who was a governor who did die on the cross for what for sinners This is not myth. This is not an option. This is truth. It is certain. And why did he do this? To exchange his life for yours. To exchange his obedience for your disobedience. To exchange his righteousness for your unrighteousness. His eternal life for your eternal hell. Which he bore on the cross in your place. This is what theologians call the great exchange, that Christ, Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, right, the nations, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And so what does Paul say? The mystery of Christ is this. Look at verse six, that the Gentiles who have believed in Jesus Christ are fellow heirs. See, Jesus is the older brother. And the older brother, in Jewish times, when the father dies, what, what would they receive? The inheritance. Heir. and Inheritance, right? They were the heir to all the wealth. Well, Jesus Christ is the heir to all that God, that God the Father has given to us, given to him. But those who are united to Christ are also co-heirs with him. (laughs) So all that Christ has is ours. That's what God has revealed in Christ Jesus. And not only that, but if you believe in Christ, you're members of his body. You're partakers, you're sharers in the promise that was given to Abraham, to the Jewish nation, and now to all nations through Christ Jesus. All that is yours. That's the benefits of the gospel that Jesus brings to you. This is the good news That Jesus Christ is the mystery revealed. He is the all sufficient Savior. And you know what? When Satan attacks Christians to discourage them, he always attacks the sufficiency of the work of Jesus Christ to doubt you. Things like, there's no way. How how in the world could Jesus save you? Look at you, you did it again. You broke God's law again. You lost your temper. You you keep going back to the same sins. How could God ever accept you? How can you say that you love him when you go back to the same sin over and over and over again? Do you really think that you are saved if you don't at least contribute a little bit? I mean, how can God declare you righteous if you're not actually righteous? That's the Roman Catholic doctrine right there. And to that I reply... When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within upward I look and see him there who made a way who made an end to all my sin because the sinless savior died my sinful soul is counted free for God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me that's the good news That nothing in my hands I bring, but simply to the cross I cling. And so when the lies come, despair comes, you need to preach to yourself. Do not lose heart, for God has given me the good news of Jesus Christ for me, a sinner. And then thirdly, do not lose heart, for God has revealed his will for you. And I get this from verse 8. So Paul, if you think about him, he was on the road to Damascus. And his sole mission was to persecute the church. But God, in his grace, revealed the mystery of the gospel to him. And who is that mystery? It's Christ. And Christ revealed himself to Paul. As he's on the horse, I just can imagine he's on the horse, and Jesus shows up, and the horse just bucks him off, does one of those backflips. Maybe the horse falls on him. I don't know. But he is flattened because the Lord of glory shows up. Look, Paul is Saul. His name is Saul. He's not pursuing Christ. He's not asking Christ into his heart. He's not seeking Christ. Christ pursues him and he flattens him on the road. And then he saves him by grace. And then he says, you know what? You who used to kill Christians, I'm commissioning you to bring the gospel to the nations. I'm giving you a purpose. I'm giving you a meaning in life, a goal. And what is that goal? Look at verse 8. He says, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what was the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. I love that. God God in Christ has given Paul a new mission and it's to preach the gospel, to bring the light. And it's so funny, it's so ironic why he uses the word light there. You have to believe he's remembering his conversion. The light that blinded him is now the light that he's bringing to all who are blind to open their eyes to Christ. Why why is it important for us to know the will of God, the revealed will of God? Because it brings meaning and purpose for each and every one of you in your lives. One of the causes of despair and discouragement in our church in particular is that among the young people going into 20s, and especially the young men in our church, is Satan loves to cause despair and discouragement by making them aimless and purpos- purposeless, by removing all meaning from their life, from, by giving them the lie, <laughs> by, by, by giving them lies to believe that they're worthless. If you remove the purpose from someone, you could kill the Spirit. Because people are like trains. It's a good illustration. They are made with a particular destination. God created each and every one of you with a a particular destination, a a particular goal, a particular end, a purpose. And what is that end? What is the last stop that you are to go as a train? It is to seek first the kingdom of God and to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But the problem in our church... And especially in men and women, young men and women, is that they have substituted our ultimate, you have su- substituted your ultimate aim with worthless and inferior aims in your life. And that's Satan's goal. It makes him so happy because he doesn't need to turn you into a cannibal or a murderer. All he needs to do is to make sure that you don't live for the purpose God created you. And so if he could get you to pursue as your ultimate aim inferior things like sports, like entertainment, like video games, your career, trinkets, toys, fashion, your career, companionship, or even marriage. If, if, if Satan can convince you that that is your aim, your end, he is one. Despair is on the way. Because it's just idolatry. That's what it is. If you make those things the end destination, you are on the road, but nothing but in bitter despair because none of those things will satisfy you. And so Satan's whole goal is just to get you derailed just a little bit off the tracks or maybe to stall you out with discouragement when you are made to pursue Christ and Christ alone. And I have to ask you, you have to ask the question, could you imagine the work Of the gospel that could be done if each and every one of you were pursuing the purpose in which you were created, wholeheartedly. And what is that? It's to believe in Jesus, to follow Jesus, and to make disciples like Jesus. (laughs) How? By preaching and teaching the gospel, by sharing the unsearchable riches of Christ, to be to share the light with the world. That is what you were created for. That is the ultimate end. And so everything in your life, everything that you do, needs to be for the, the future goal of that, that end, to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's what you were made for. to bring glory to God. And that's what the gospel brings. You're once living for yourself. Your ultimate aim is you as you ran your hellbound race but Christ looked upon our helpless state and he gave us a purpose he gave us his will he commissioned us to bring the gospel to the world and so high school students why does this matter because you need to learn and i love you but i need to say this is you need to learn to look to li- or sorry you need to li- uh, you need to think beyond the weekend <laughs> Some of you are so insulated. All you could think about is you, yourself, and your priorities in this weekend. You have no eternal perspective. What are you living for? You know the thing that consumed Michael Jordan? The thing that absolutely consumed him, what made him the greatest basketball player probably ever. Yep, yeah, for sure, of ever. Mm-hmm. Is that the thing that consumed him is, that, is, is winning the championship. Winning the NBA Finals. That was his purpose in life. And so every single waking moment, the way that he worked out, the way that he ate, every single way that he played defense, every shot that he took was, was for the purpose of that ultimate goal. And in the same way, everything that you do as a Christian in your life it is to be for the ultimate aim of God's glory. You have a purpose in life, and it's that, and it's worthwhile, and it's for your joy. What are you living for? That's my question to you. And whatever that thing is, is it something you will be thinking about on your deathbed saying, I wish I did more of that? Really? When you're when you're on your deathbed, are you going to be saying, man, I wish I'd practiced more basketball? I, I mean, I'm for that. I'm for working hard in sports. But well, we got to keep the old... And you could do it for God's glory. Uh... I wish I got better grades in that class. I don't know, whatever it is. Jonathan Edwards, at 19 years old, and I have all of his resolutions in the back. He wrote these resolutions of how he was going to live his life. And he said this, I'm resolve, resolved never to do anything which I would be afraid to do if it were my last hour of life. That's a good question. As you're sitting, as you sit and you scroll and you play your video games, and you play, watch YouTube for hours and hours. Is that something never to do anything that I think, which I should be afraid to do if it were my last hour of life. That's how you should live for the aim and purpose of God's glory. Don't waste your life. Aimlessness leads to despair, but God has given you a purpose to live, to preach Christ, to make him known. That is why you were created. And what is the purpose of this? Look at verse 10. Look at, look at verse 10. Why? Why, is it, why should we preach the gospel? Why should we live to this end? So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. Might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's crazy. So the reason why we are to preach the gospel is so that the church that you are a part of would proclaim the manifold wisdom of God to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. I love what Martin Lloyd-Jones says. He says, The angels have always been immediately in the presence of God, but what takes place in the church is something that even they had never thought of or imagined. That's what Paul is saying here. So don't lose heart. God has revealed his will for you. And fourthly, do not lose heart in light of this. For God has revealed his kingdom for you. His kingdom for you. And that is the church. And I already mentioned this. So it's a short point. But God has given you a despair, or a despair killer in the, church, in the church. Sunday morning worship is meant to despair to destroy discouragement, to destroy despair by reminding you of what is true. For the last 2,000 years, the church has weathered countless storms of persecution. And yet every Sunday, millions around the world gathered to be reminded of Christ, the mystery revealed in the gospel. How? Through the word preached, through the word sung, Right? Through prayers being made. Through baptisms being seen. Was that not encouraging? Who was there on Sunday and saw baptisms? Is that one way to lift despair out of your life? To maybe encourage you to, to good works? To live for Christ? I know it is for me. It's an encouragement to know that, nothing, that I, nothing in my hands I bring but simply to the cross I need to cling. Right? It's not my good works, but Christ God has given you the church to encourage you. So it is no wonder that the more people stop attending gospel-centered churches, that the more anxiety and depression and suicides arise. There's a correlation here. It's no wonder that many youth don't... youth. Youth groups or people in youth groups don't care about the deep things of God because they've been conditioned by our culture that sports or family or football are more important than going to church on Sunday. What else are you going to do with your life? You only get one life, right? And God has given you the church to live it for for the utmost of His glory. And when you live according to His will in the church... You're doing it in such a way that the angels in heaven are looking saying, wow, this is amazing. And when you take part in the kingdom of God, which is the church, you are a part of this pilgrim army that is subduing the enemy day by day and week by week as we declare that Christ is victorious overall. That's why you go to church on Sunday. And when you miss out, you're isolating yourself. The church is God's means to fight despair. And Paul reminds the Ephesians church of that. That that's God's eternal purpose. And so lastly, the fifth truth to kill despair. Do not lose heart for God has revealed his heart for you, Christian. I love this last verse. He says this. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Verse 12. In whom... We have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul reminds them because God has spoken in his word. He has given you the gospel. He has given you the will of God for your life. He's given you the church. And so you can come to the father with boldness. Free access. How? Through faith in Christ Jesus. The father, believer, loves you. He loves you. God loves all of his creatures. He loves each and every one of you. But there is a special love upon his children. And Satan loves to twist the character of God in order to bring despair in your life. As a father... Of my little one. There is much that I would love to give Eden. Even as we're going through the adoption process right now, we are asked by our caseworker, what is one thing that you would love to give to your adoptive child? It's a really good question. Is there a lot I could give them? A lot of material things that I could give them maybe. Food, shelter, family. There's many things I'd love to give my child. So many dreams I have for Eden, so many desires and prayers to pray on her behalf. And any parent knows what that is like, that feeling. But out of all the things that I can give her or any of my children, the one thing that I pray that she learns is that no matter where she is in, no matter where she is in life, no matter the heartbreak, the pain, the suffering, which will come her way, No matter what sin will beset her and entangle her and hold her in bondage or danger or circumstance that comes her way. The one thing I pray that she learns is that she could always run home and the door is always open and that she will always be received by a loving father who will embrace her in kindness and love and grace. And I'm not talking about me I'm talking about my Heavenly Father. That no matter where she's at, she has access through Christ Jesus to the Father. And there is nothing, I was praying with a dear saint at prayer night and he was, he was so discouraged. He said, I'm not ready to come. I have too much sin. And he's praying this. And I, and I had to semi-rebuke him in my prayer and says, there's nothing more joyful, there's nothing that gives God more joy than the worst of sinners coming to Him. Where else would they go? It's like a doctor who brings the only cure to sick people, but the sick don't come to him. But when they do, he's happy because he he has the cure. And that's the father's heart towards sinners when they come. That's one thing that Paul wants his people to know: that if you ha- are in Christ Jesus, you have access to a loving Father. And there's nothing, nothing brings more joy to the Father than sinners coming to Him. And there's nothing that grieves His heart more than sinners to reject Him for another lover. There's only one person in the Prodigal Son story that's running at the end. Who is it? It's the Father. It's the Father. He's the one that's running. And that's, that's the good news. If you don't know Jesus Christ, despair is all that is coming for you. Eternal despair and damnation and hell forever. Or you could run home to a Father who will embrace you. You could have boldness and access in Christ Jesus through faith in Him. Brothers and sisters, I ask you not to lose heart. For God has revealed his word, the gospel, his will, his kingdom, and his heart for you, all in the person of Christ. And so look to him, look to him alone, look to no one else but him, for he is the great and glorious sun that evaporates the clouds of despair. Father God, thank you so much for the gospel, the mystery of Christ revealed you're such a loving and gracious God. And I pray that many would come to you to find their loving embrace in Christ Jesus. Lord, for those that are in despair right now, the pit of despair, I pray, I pray that they would just simply look up, just look to Jesus, that they would come home by faith. doesn't need to be a strong faith, It's not the degree or the strength of faith that saves. It's the object of of faith. And even the the slimmest, (laughs) smallest thread of faith is enough to carry the worst of sinners across that great chasm of hell into the loving arms of Christ forever and ever. God, thank you for the gospel. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.